This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. I want to say good morning to the Gospel Hour. What's up, guys, over there? Glad you guys are listening with us and those that are listening on the online community. And I'm, I'm just going to get right to it. We're doing a series today. Uh, we, we started it last week, but we're really diving into it today. It's called uh, 360 Christian, how to be a 360 degree Christian, where um, you have a well-rounded faith. You're not a mile wide and an inch deep, and you're not uh, a mile deep and very narrow. So uh, how can we have a well-rounded faith? Well, I think the secret to that really um, is found in Romans chapter 12. I really believe that. Romans chapter 12 is um, this incredible passage in the New Testament. And I'll just give you a real, real brief uh, Bible School 101. Typically, in all of Paul's letters, the first quarter, first half of the letter is he's explaining theologically what the gospel is and the ramifications of it and, and, and how, how powerful it is. And then usually the last half to a third of Paul's letters, now he's saying, now this is how you live the gospel out. And that's where Romans 12 starts. Like Romans all the way up to 11 is this theological treatise. It's Paul's greatest work. And they get to 12 and he goes, now... Now let's get, let, let's get down to it. And we're gonna talk about how you get down to it. Um, Chip Ingram, in his book, R12 Spirituality, he tells a story, and it's a, it's a, it's a great story. It's, um, there, was, there was this guy, he was an, an old man, and he was a fisherman on the East Coast, and he had this boat on a dock, and, and the, the, everyone in that little fishing town called him the mean one. He was just one of those old guys. You know those old, some of you are becoming that old guy, right? That, yeah, get off my lawn. You know, you're just mad at everything. Like, hey, everything, you know, myopic about the past and, you know, that kind of thing. He was just always angry. And all the kids in the town called him the mean one because he was mean. And he had no family and, you know, his life was hard. That's why. He had a tough life and um, his family was gone and uh, he, a lot of his friends had passed on and, it, um, and you are ridiculously in charge of your attitude, but for whatever reason, um, his went to bitter. He was just a mean guy. And um, it was a fishing town and a tourist town and in the summer people would come. And just one, one summer, this little girl you know, five, six years old, pigtails, super cute, just took a liking to him for whatever reason. She'd see him on the pier and she had a bunch of shells she had found on the beach and she walked up to look at his boat and he's, and she just kind of gave him her shells like as a gift. And, and you know, the, the little girls like that, dads, they melt your heart, right? You know, you can be super bitter and then they do that. And you're like, okay, whatever. And um, every day she would like go find shells on the beach and she would bring them to him. And, and they just kind of created over the period of this short vacation, like a bond. And he looked forward to seeing her every day and she'd come out and, um, you know, sit on the pier and her feet were dangling on the pier, all cute while he was working and doing whatever. And, um, you know, last day of vacation comes by and he knew um, that she was going home the next day. And he thought to himself, he's like, you know, I've, I've got this boat. I've been fishing here for 40, 50 years. I, you know, I have no family. I don't have any friends. Like all this stuff when I die, I don't know who's gonna get it. 
And he uh, went into his little, little locker and he had all of these things he had found over the years um, in the ocean or on the beach or whatever. And they're really beautiful shells and, and also a bunch of um, like real pearls. So he spent all night drilling holes in these pearls and he ran fishing string through it and with these beautiful um, shells that he had found and he made a pearl necklace for her. And um, sure enough, the next day comes and her family's getting ready to leave and they drive to the pier because she wanted to say goodbye to him. And she comes out and gives him a hug and, and he says, I have something for you. And he pulls out this pearl necklace and he's holding it up and it's just glimmering in the sun. It's beautiful, like real pearls. And she had this little plastic pearl necklace on and he reached down to take it off her neck and put the other one on and she went <gasps> in horror, like, what are you doing? And she grabbed it and she ran away. And she ran back to the car and got in the car and she didn't wanna to talk to him again and whatever. And, and here he was trying to give her this, incredible, this, this gift of incredible worth and she, she couldn't let go of her plastic toy. Like you, you hear that story and you think like, what a waste, right? And, and Kids are funny like that, aren't they? They are. Because we would never walk away from something of incredible worth for something plastic and shiny and, and, and perishable. We would never do that, right, church? Right, people? Right, Gospel Hour? Listen, I want to read you today. We don't have a long scripture reading. It's one verse. I'm going to break down three phrases in one verse of Romans 12.1 today because I think it's incredibly important to be a well-rounded, a 360-degree Christian. And it's Romans 12.1. I'm not even going to ask you to stand. That's, it's that short. You know, we're not going to do holy calisthenics today. Sit, stand, sit, stand. Okay? It says here in Romans 12.1, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay? I'm going to read it one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. That word is a Delphoi. It means brothers and sisters. Right, It's a kind of gender neutral word. And then it says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true spiritual act of worship. So uh, I wanna break down three phrases today. So if you're taking notes, number one is this, in view of God's mercy. I wanna talk to you about that. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In some of the Bible translations, it says, in full view of God's mercy, okay? And, um, I, you know, the reason we, we at Clovis Hills, we, we wanna help people connect with God, grow in our love of God and one another, serve God by serving one another, and then go and be the church. The reason we do the, these, these things is centered around what God has done for us. We, we don't do these things so that God will save us, so that God will love us, so that God will bless us, that God will do any of that. It's already been given as a free gift and you don't do things to get things from God when you're one of God's children. And um, 
See, the, the gospel, it says, in view of God's mercy, you have to understand this. What that means is when you see the gospel, God's mercy, the forgiveness of God, what God has done for you, when you see the gospel in full view, when you see it clearly, like, um, have you ever looked at a diamond? And if you look at a diamond and you just look at one angle at the diamond, you, it's beautiful. But if you hold it in the light and you turn it, and you see the, the light hit it, every angle of it, every cut of it, all of it, 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 it's incredible, right? And see, many times we look at the gospel kind of just from one angle, and it's just, oh, Jesus died for my sins, and now I can go to heaven. And that's just the, the you're just scratching the surface of what that means. And this is why Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that when you've seen the gospel for what it is, it clearly and beautifully, and it, and, it, and it stands out to you, that's when good things happen. See, I don't know, you know, some of you, um, I, I already know, you're like, listen, pastor, like, I got real life problems, okay? You know, um, I'm worried about Russell Wilson winning, then playing the 49ers, um, you know, we got the economy, the election, uh, racial tension in the world, economic inequality, climate change. Um, the, the conservatives are coming for us. The liberals are coming for us. I've got all kinds of real problems in my life. I got relational problems at home. I got relational problems at work. I got, you know, I got, I, I got to sell this thing, this product, and it's terrible. I got real problems. What does the gospel have to do with that? And here's what I want you to know. The gospel has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with every aspect of your life. And I want to help, help us understand that today. See, um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever, uh, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you a great example. The, the gospel can even affect, if you, if you are looking at it right, when you view it in full view of God's mercy, when you have a full view of it, it affects every aspect of your life. And you can pick something that's just kind of um, periphery, you know? Like, I'll give you a great example, like fitness, okay? Um, we all wanna be fit, right? I said want, I didn't say we were trying, okay? <laughs> not everyone's trying, you know? Um, I want washboard abs, but that's not happening because I don't like sit-ups. So, um, but, but here, here's the thing. I want you to look, look at even the, the topic of your, your, own, your own health and fitness, okay? Um, when you look at it through the world's lens, if you look at, 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 at your fitness during the, through the world's lens, the, wor the world will tell you, well, you want to be in shape, and you want to eat right, and you want to do all that suffering so that um, you will look good and you will be desirable by the other sex and you will feel good about yourself because then you'll have a good self-esteem and you will have all those things. And there is an element of truth in that, but here's what I want you to know. Um, it, that, that, that's how the world sees it. That's not how God's people, that's not how the gospel sees it. Religion is, is, is just as bad as the worldly view because the religion says, your body is a temple, you better take care of it or God's gonna be mad at you. Because sloth is a sin. No one ever says that anymore, do they? We, we love to point out other sins that we're not doing. You know what I mean? Like if you're married, you're like, oh, sleeping with your girlfriend's a sin, even though you weigh 500 pounds. Okay, listen. Or, you know, oh, sleeping with your girlfriend's a sin, even though you're cheating on your taxes. Okay, so the Bible says we're all sinners. Every one of us. None of us are perfect. All of us. 
And here's what the, if you were to look at something just, you know, silly like fitness through the gospel's lens, it says you don't need to be desirable because the God of the universe came for you. He knew you by name and he desires you. And he's chosen you and he's called you. And you're one of his children. And because he's called you, maybe take better care of yourself so that you can serve him well. No guilt, no shame. But all of a sudden you start looking at things differently. We're over here, you're not skinny enough, you're not buff enough, you're not this enough. Religion says you're not enough, you're not enough. And the gospel says you are more than enough. And out of just the gratitude that God has given you, you should take care of yourself. Don't eat it. Don't have that second donut, okay? Um, again, you know, I, 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 could, I could go on. Suffering is the same way. Religion says you deserve it. You suffer because you deserve it. You did something that made God mad. If you ever read the book of Job, they're very religious. The world says suffering. Well, suffering is, um, there's no point in it. And if there is, a, it, you know, and, and you, it's just gonna happen to you and that's what you're gonna get if that's the worldly lens you're gonna look through. As a matter of fact, they'll tell you, um, you know, if you're suffering, you should be, if there is a deity, if there is a God, you should be mad at him for allowing you to suffering suffer. He's not a good and loving God if he's allowing you to suffer or he just doesn't care. But what the gospel says is that even God himself, he loved us so much that he came and suffered for us to redeem us. And what the gospel says that is even in your suffering, God is gonna take that and redeem it. He's gonna recycle it. He's gonna do something in it. And that in your perseverance, God is gonna, God is gonna win. So um, when it says in full view of God's mercy, here's the deal. Sometimes you got to look at it and ponder it and think about it. You ever heard a song and like, um, like I'm going to be honest, most like popular music songs, most pop songs, they're throwaway, okay? They're like, um, they're just, you know, the lyrics are like, baby, baby, you're my baby. I like babies and they're baby, you know, kind of thing. There's no meaning to them. They're fun. Um, you can tap your foot to it. You know, you can do this thing. What is love, baby? Don't, you know, that kind of thing. And, but, it, but there's no, like, you're not gonna like be pondering it. You're not gonna be laying in bed at night and be like thinking about uh, like your, t- here, Eli, play, play me just a regular pop song. Anyone feel sick yet? No, you're just like, and if you're a guy, you're like, I'm not in the pop in my head. It's not happening. Even though you really want to inside, you're like, and you're just listening. All of a sudden, everyone's like, you know, kind of thing. Listen, you're not going to like stare up into the night sky and ponder, I just met you. Call me, baby, or whatever, whatever she's singing. It's, just, it's a throwaway song. It's fun. It, you know, it's, it, ladies like to dance to it. Guys, you know, we don't. Um, you know, you're never going to hear guys like go up to each other and be like, man, I'm feeling really down. I just got to dance the night away. Will you guys go out with me? We got to dance this thing out, man. It's not going to happen. But every now and then, there's art out there. There's something that's beautiful. And maybe the first time you heard it, it was like, eh, it's cool. 
And then you heard it again and you're like, whoa, or you heard another version of it and all of a sudden it like stood out to you and then you heard another version of it and, and then it blew your mind, right? The gospel is the same way. And, and I, I'll give you a great analogy in art, okay? Um, years ago, I heard a band called The Police. Kids, the band The Police is awesome. They're from the 80s, okay? Early 80s, late 70s. And I heard Sting and The Police do a cover of a song called Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix. And I went, wow, that's a really cool song. And I liked it. But that was it. It was like, oh, that was cool. Move along. And then years later, I'd learned to play guitar. And I actually heard Jimi Hendrix play it. And I, I didn't know that he wrote it, to be honest. I was like, oh, how did, Jimi Hendrix is covering the police? Weird. Oh, wait, no, he, was, he died in the 70s or in the 60s. Okay, um, so he wrote the song, right? And I thought, wow, that's a really cool song. And, and it, it, it meant a little more to me. Like, I really liked it. And then I was at a concert waiting for the, the first act to come on and the, my date had gone to the bathroom or whatever. So I'm sitting there by myself. And, um, you know, and it was like an awesome sound system and it was just beautiful. And... Stevie Ray Vaughan's version of Little Wing came on and I went, oh, and the song took my breath away. And you're just gonna have to indulge me because I wanna listen to it right now. I'd be here for four minutes if I'm not careful, but listen. Here's why. At some point, I heard a view, version of it that just got me. The gospel is the same way. You know, um, you can go to church your whole life and you hear the gospel all the time. I remember my, my wife, Kelly, she went to um, camp at Mount Hermon every year. She went to this church all the time and she heard the gospel all the time. I know she did. It's a good church that she went to. I know, I know of it. And um, for her growing up, like she never heard it though. It was like, listen to, I just met you. You know, it just kind of flew over her head. She never heard it. Um, I was a youth pastor. And for years, I, you know, I preached the gospel for 20 years now. And I remember I'd, I'd be preaching the gospel and I had this one girl in my youth group and it was, it was almost, it was like shooting BBs at a battleship. She just had this face every time I'd talk about the gospel. Like, <laughs> and she didn't get it. And she wasn't a bad person at all. She was a great person, but she's, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And then one day in her 30s, she messages me and she's like, Sean, I got it. I'm a Christian now. I thought I was one before, but I understand it. Because she heard the gospel finally. She saw it from another angle. She saw another perspective of it. And all of a sudden it became beautiful to her. It's like this little wing song that the gospel, the more you ponder it, the more you look at it, the more we sing it, the more we hear it, the more we talk about its ramifications for every aspect of our life, it becomes more and more beautiful. It becomes 
becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. And I want you to know something. I've been pondering the gospel now for 25 years and I'm still a beginner. I still got water wings on. It's that deep and it's that beautiful. And it says, in full view of God's mercy. And that's part of what being a disciple is, is spending the rest of your life looking at what the gospel is and how it affects, your, affects how you live. So that's, I beseech you, brethren, that's the old King Jimmy version, King James. I beseech you, brethren, in full view of God's mercy, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. So that leads me to point number two. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Number two, do we have that one? There you go. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So um, when, when you see that, it, it seems a little sketchy. You're like, you know, and, and in the ancient world, like, because in the 21st century, we don't really sacrifice animals anymore. Like the closest thing we do to sacrificing animals is like some meat packing facility makes an In-N-Out burger for me and it's delicious, Okay. But in the ancient world, you'd walk by any temple. You'd walk by the Greek temples. You'd go to the Jewish temple. They would be sacrificing animals. The Jews um, knew it was part of their worship that they would sacrifice animals and the blood of that animal, uh, somehow God made that blood atone for their sin, pay for their sin. So instead of them dying, the animal died. But then the Jews also knew that like, well, really the blood of, of, you know, a little four-legged creature doesn't really forgive our sins, but somehow God is like allowing it to until like at some point the Messiah comes and we don't even know what he's gonna do then. We don't understand it, but we know that the Messiah is gonna come one day and forgive our sins and make everything right, put the world to rights. So they, they had that concept. For us, we're like, eh, living sacrifice, what, what, is, what does that mean? And um, I think Jesus gives a good picture of it. If you look in John 14, 23 and 24, I wanna read it to you. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. That I want to read that to you again. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And we, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, will come to them and make our home with them. That when you become a believer of Jesus and and you begin to follow Jesus, he makes his home in your heart. Now, you you ever had, um, you ever found out someone was coming to visit your house and it was a mess? You're like, oh no, and you're like, imagine if Jesus was coming to your house. Lock the closets with 20 padlocks. I don't want Jesus in my closet, knowing what's going on behind closed doors. But it says, he'll come and make our home with him. Verse 24, it says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And I know, I know what you're thinking as you read that. Um, there's either two things like, oh, oh no, I'm gonna um, screw, like, I, I can't screw up then. I have to obey everything that Jesus says. And then there's a whole nother group of you in the room right now that's like, nobody's perfect. I can't do that. I might as well quit. Listen, um, you're, you're right. You're, you're, no one's perfect, including me. I'm not always obedient. Sometimes I am disobedient to God. Um, looking at the sights of you guys, I know you are. <laughs> the, 
the gospel hour people, if you knew them, listen, okay, here's the deal. Um, see, that's, it's true. You can't be perfectly obedient, but, but here, here, here's, here's, here's what's going on. Remember it said in full view of God's mercy, See, mercy is, is, is the forgiveness of God. And then, and then the grace comes in and empowers you to live a godly life. And no, nobody, nobody's perfect. But here's the thing. I'm obedient. We want to be obedient to Jesus because of the mercy. Because we've already been given it. We've already been forgiven. We're already children of God. We don't need to be obedient so we can get the mercy. See, see, here's the problem. Religion will always tell you, you obey, you follow the rules, you do what's right, so God will forgive you of all the other bad things you did. And that is a lie from the pit of hell is what I want you to know. That is not the gospel. That is not the New Testament. That's not what the apostles believed. It's not what Paul believed. It's not what the earliest Christians. And really the gospel is this, is that God has already forgiven you. He's already given you everything. He's already given you heaven. He's already given you his citizenship in his kingdom. He's given it all to you, whether you're a turd or not. And I did say turd. And because he's given it all to you, that should be our motivation to want to obey him. See, that's the, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. It says to give your body as a living sacrifice. So listen to what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. This is brilliant. It's brilliant. It says here. Do you have Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 in the booth? In the booth, in the booth, in the booth, in the booth, in the booth. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We don't have that one. No problem. That's not your fault. Sorry, booth. I'll just read it to you because it is brilliant. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. So think about this. It's by grace you've been saved. Okay, so God just gave it to you. Grace means unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Any of that. He just said, take it. Seriously. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And then it says, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. So when you put your faith in Jesus, he said, take the grace. And the grace will empower you to follow me. And yeah, you'll mess up along the way, but I'm gonna finish what I started in you. And, and then he says, and it's not from yourself because you can't earn it. You didn't do anything. God wasn't in heaven going, oh, um, you seem worthy of my grace and you do, but not you and not you and definitely not you. And those of you watching on video, and um, no, he didn't do that. He just said, it's a gift. And as a matter of fact, he said, it's not of yourselves. And even the faith that you had to put, the little bit of faith that you have to put in Jesus, that didn't come from you either. God gave it to you that faith is even a gift. And it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Um, and then it says, for we are God's handiwork, the work of his hands. It says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. I want you to think about that. That before you were ever born, God had the gift of grace for you. 
He had the gift of salvation. When you took hold of it, the very person that you were created to be gets activated and you become moving in Jesus's way. And Jesus undoes all the sin and all the worldliness in you and you begin to walk the Jesus way and before you know it, you start looking more and more like him. And over time and over years and, and what happens is God just transforms you into the person you were created to be. You ever... Um, you ever feel like you're not the person you're supposed to be? I do all the time, to be honest. Like sometimes I'm like, what am I gonna be when I grow up? Oh wait, I'm an adult. I'm in charge of a church, oh no. <laughs> but see, this is the process of discipleship that God's now saved you. And because he saved you, now you step into obeying him. And you'll always be blessed when you obey Jesus. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult and you'll have difficult seasons of obedience in your life, but you will always be blessed. This leads me to the third, the third phrase. It says, I, I, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. And then the third phrase is, this is your spiritual, number three, this is your spiritual act of worship, your proper act of worship. This is your true and proper worship. See, worship, a lot of times, like mo most of the American church, uh, we mistake worship for music. And then what happens is we end up mistaking worship for a style of music, which is like we make it, like we've already narrowed it down super narrow to what worship is when the Bible just said that obeying Jesus is your act of worship. But we narrow it down to music and then we make it even worse. We narrow it down to a style of music. So some people are like, you can't worship unless you play songs from the 16, 17, and 1800s that have a cadence to it because that's the cadence of heaven. Jesus paid it all. And they literally think these hymns are, you know, and they'll poo-poo, you know, all of, uh, all of modern worship. But then on the other end, you get people that are all about modern worship and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they sing those songs. They're so old and crusty. I don't even know what an Ebenezer is. I only sing songs from Australia. And if they're older in 2018, they're out. If, that, if, the, if the worship leader's jeans aren't tight enough, over, moving on, next band. Listen, here's what I need you to know. It's, it's, it's not about the style whatsoever. It's about who you're worshiping. And here's what I'm gonna tell you. Many Christians get caught up on the methodology and they're actually worshiping the methodology and not Jesus. They're worshiping the genre of music. They're worshiping the style of music. I've been there. I've been that person. And it's what the Bible calls idolatry. That really it's about Jesus and we should be able to lift Jesus up in any place. And over the years, God has matured me and it's made it a little easier. Because let's be honest, music is relevant. Some of you, you really thought that song from Carly Rae Jepsen was a work of art. And the Stevie Ray Vaughan song was like, eh, when's the singing coming? Where's the hook? <laughs> I get it. Music is relative. It's not about the, the, the medium. It's about who you're worshiping. And what, what the... Um, book of Romans tells us is that when we obey Jesus, when we step into obedience, that is your true and proper worship. And, um, you know, I, 
This is partially why the vision of this church as we grow, and by the way, this church just keeps growing. So, you know, like, um, and, and you know, we heard from the city of Clovis that 35,000 people are gonna move in within a three square mile radius of this church in the next 20 years. So buckle up, people, okay? Just bu- we're on 43 acres, look out, okay? But part of it is we also understand that music is a great way to move people to the heart of God, to, to inspire people to worship. And not everyone likes modern worship. And you know, my hope is that we would have different venues on this campus. We already have one for people that kind of like that old school country gospel. That's the gospel hour. I would love to have one where they're banging out hymns. And I, I, I like to worship to hymns sometimes too. I like to have one where we're playing metal from the 80s and we've turned them into Jesus songs. I would love all the different genres, but it's not about the genres. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, so the son of man be lifted up, the world will be drawn to him. So Jesus came across this woman and you're gonna hear this story a lot this year, I think. The Samaritan woman. And um, they were having this conversation. They weren't even supposed to have a conversation culturally. There was a deep racial hatred. Men didn't, Jewish men didn't talk to women, let alone a Samaritan woman. But, but this is Jesus. He accepted everyone right where they were at. He didn't need her to change. He just loved her where she was. Um, he also wouldn't leave her where she was either in, in the sinful state she was in. He called her higher. That's what Jesus will do. He loves you right where you're at, but he's gonna call you higher. That's the funniest part to me because I'll get people all the time like, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, but am I gonna have to give up this? And just put X, whatever it is you want. Or I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. Am I gonna have to do this? And see, here's here's what I know. I, I never answer that question. I just go, why don't you just believe in Jesus and let him lead you and see where it takes you? Because That's how Jesus approached this woman. He didn't ask her to get right. She'd been divorced five times, was living with another dude. He didn't ask her to get right until she put her faith in him. And then he said, okay, now let's take the next step. But when he met up with this woman, he said something. He said, because they were talking about worship. And she's like, how can you talk to me? You're a Jew. You guys worship in the temple. And they had a way of worshiping in the temple. You know, they had all these different things they did. It wasn't about singing, believe it or not. Um, And they would worship in the temple and they'd make sacrifices and do all that. And the temple was where the presence of God was. But the Samaritans disagreed. They said, that's not where the presence of God was. It might've originally been there, but after the temple was destroyed and they had to rebuild it again, it never went back there. It lost its glory. You guys even said it's lost its glory from the first temple. And God actually is worshiping on this mountain right here in Samaria. And we Samaritans, we worship the right way. It's almost like the, we sing hymns, we sing modern music thing going on. People have never changed. We preach from the King James Bible. We preach from the message. Who cares? And then Jesus says, a time is coming now and it has come right now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So this morning, I I loved it. Marlena picked a song that we sang the gospel together, right? We sang that song, oh, praise the name of our Lord, our God. I don't know if you know, but all the verses of it are the story of the gospel, the perfect life the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
And then every chorus of that song is a response to the perfect life, to the death, to the resurrection. And see, worship is always a response to the perfect life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I beg you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy, the perfect life, the death, and the resurrection. I beg you, brothers and sisters, in full view of God's mercy, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. What that means is, like, just take every aspect of your life and put it under the lordship of Christ. Even the little things, trust him with it. And it's a process, I get it, but give your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when you do that, it is a, your spiritual act of worship. You know, I, I've told this story before, but I know um, I've, I've spoken with teenagers in our church and I remember I was talking with this one kid and he's like, yeah, um, I, made, you know, I made a decision to follow Jesus and he's been working on my heart and um, I've decided I'm, not, I'm gonna remain a virgin until I get married and my brothers and my friends are making fun of me for it, but I don't care. Do you understand that was an act of worship? God saw that and said, well done, good and faithful servant. And he may screw up. But that moment he decided was the act of worship. And every time he decided not to, it was an act of worship. And every time he really wanted to, and men, we've all been teenage boys and you really want to, um, that's an act of worship. I have another friend um, who, uh, he invented the neoprene knee brace. So he's really poor, right? <laughs> Kidding, he built like two of the, f- five largest orthopedic companies in, in the world. And he sold them and he's super wealthy. And he, he, he said to me one day, he goes, you know, um, I don't have the gift of generosity. And he goes, I grew up poor. And he goes, you have no idea, you know, what it is to scratch a check to God for, with six zeros on it. I said, I'd like to. <laughs> and he laughed, he goes, yeah, I know. He goes, but like, I'm naturally stingy. I don't want to do that but I do. And he goes, to be honest, I I can give more than that, so I do, and I don't want to. He gives way more than 10% to the Lord. I I wish it was to this church. But anyways, um, (laughs) it's another prayer of mine. 21 days, prayer of fasting. Listen, that's an act of worship for him. Do do you understand? Like when, when you obey Jesus, It's an act of worship, time and time again. Some of you, here's the deal. Maybe today's the day the gospel made sense. Like, oh, I get it. I don't have to act right because Jesus already has given it all to me. And all I have to do is receive it as a a gift. And and that gift will, will possibly motivate me to follow him. I see everyone always told me I just needed to act right and they were beating me up with religion. But today I get it. I just need to receive Jesus. This is why every week I tell you guys, it says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That if you will receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he gives you the right to become children, a child of God and all the blessings and the inheritance of what a child gets from his father. And some of you, today's the day. It says in Revelation 3.20, it says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. I will dine with them. That Jesus stands at the door of your heart. He stands at the door of your life right now. He's not mad at you. He's not like, straighten up. 
He's crazy about you. And the Bible says to those who believe in his name shall not perish. It says it super clearly. It says it in Romans, actually. Paul said it, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. That's all it takes. And then after that, just point your heart to Jesus and start trying to obey him. I promise you, you won't do it perfectly. It's, you start what Christians call walking with God. And when you were a baby, did you, did you get up and like do a 360 reverse slam dunk? Were you LeBron James the minute you came out of the womb? No. That LeBron James obviously freaked, but he, it, that took a lot of work to be LeBron James. LeBron James. Okay, listen. It took a lot of work. It took time. He's been in the NBA 18 years. He, he, he played basketball as well. Here's the thing. It's the same thing. You don't need to be the LeBron James or, uh, of, uh, of Christianity. You just need to get up and walk. And yeah, you'll probably fall and you'll probably stray a little bit and you'll do that. But the Bible is very, I, I promise you this, the Bible is very clear. It says in Philippians that he who began a good work and you will finish it. He will finish it. But you have to make the decision whether you will invite him in to save you and then will you point your heart toward him and walk. We have a tradition here at Clovis Hills. And um, I don't know if you know, if you weren't here last week, uh, we had a goal of 2,500 first-time decisions for Jesus over three years. We, we uh, didn't reach it. We only had 2,507. It's pretty good. So it's a cool tradition though. So um, we took some of the bulbs out um, it doesn't mean you're not saved if I took your bulb out. I didn't take your bulb out, don't worry. Some people gave me permission to take theirs out because they wanted other people to put one in. That's an act of worship. Huh. Put it, the Bible says put others before you. Huh. Act of worship. But we have this tradition that whenever you receive Jesus, you take this bulb and uh, we give it to you and I'll be up here, the band will sing and um, it, it's just kind of a way of declaring with your mouth, telling people like, I'm in with Jesus. And I'll be up here and while the band's singing, you can just come forward. And if you're scared, bring your friend with you for courage, whatever it takes. This church cheers you on like you won the Super Bowl. It's super fun. And um, here's, here's, here's what this bulb represents. It represents the decision you made that, you know, Jesus, the light of the world, I've invited him to come be home in me. And you take that bulb. And when church is done, you take it and you screw it into the Jesus' light, life and love. And there's some empty sockets over there. When that bulb lights up, it reminds you every time you see it of the decision, the day you decided to believe in Jesus. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you've never invited Christ into your life before, I, I, I wanna encourage you to, it's the best decision you'll ever make. Why would you put it off? Why would you not make 2020 the year that you became the person God created you to be, that you started in that direction? So let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.